0: The uh you know what and there was one more thing I, I meant to mention during announcements, just if you can keep in mind and, and keep in your prayers. I've you know, we've been doing some training, some Zoom training in India now for a little over a year. And so we've actually got a conference that kicks off tonight in India. And so I'm yeah, so I'm 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 kicking that off tonight. So I'll be preaching again tonight at eleven thirty PM and then Monday night, it'll be 1 a.m., I will be preaching, and so, and then, I don't remember what time I preach on Wednesday, but anyway, so we're doing, we're doing it like that. Uh, Brett Bartlett will be teaching, I will be, Code Blaze Lee Writings, uh, Neil Brown, so there's a, a, a crew of us that will be all collectively doing this conference in India, so we got these really good brothers and sisters in India that have just really gravitated towards some of the teachings and doctrines and keys of Bible study that you guys are also familiar with and then this these guys in India have now grabbed, you know, whatever 50 or however many others from outside of their camp and they said you got to hear some of this stuff. And so that's kind of what this conference is about is a lot of these people coming over to hear that. So by the grace of God we have some incredible technology and so, you know, we'll be preaching in India this week virtually and that is uh it, without being on a plane for goodness knows how long. And so, so that's good. It'd be better to be there in person. They wanted to get us there in person. It wasn't going to work out because that was going to be like right now-ish. And so for a lot of reasons, that wasn't going to work. So anyway, we're going to do it virtually. And so keep that in your mind as, as I'm, uh, as you're sawing logs tonight and tomorrow night, you know, I'll be, I'll be trying to, to, to preach the word. So anyway, the, uh, but yeah, so so we're gonna we're gonna dive back into the the book of Luke, specifically Luke chapter four. And you know, last week we began a series that we're calling the the parallel paradigm. And in you know about a month and a half or so ago, Corey and I tag teamed that series that we called the DNA of, of Christ. And this one kind of goes hand in hand with that. Um, in that series that we covered previously. It was we, we, we learned that who Christ was in his physical body is who we're to be in the spiritual body of Christ called the church. But now in this series, what we're looking at is, is we're looking at, cool, that's who Jesus was. Now we're looking at what Jesus did. We, we've studied who he was. Now we're trying to study what was it specifically that Jesus did. And, and when we compare what Jesus did... In his body while he was here to what we're to be doing in this spiritual body. We, we saw that that those two things, they should run parallel with, with each other. What Jesus did while he was here is the paradigm. A paradigm is like a model or, or an example. And, and, and just like two parallel lines that are they're headed in the exact same direction. They're headed down the exact same path, and they do the exact same thing, and they're only separated by however much space. Well, our ministry should run parallel to Christ, headed in the exact same direction, down the exact same path, and doing the exact same things, only separated by that space that we call time. Time is all that separates the two, so we need to look at what Jesus did then while He was here, and, and what we saw from Luke chapter four was was that we can see the ministry of the Spirit of God that we were able to to trace in the ministry of Jesus. This is just an unbelievable chapter where we glean so much practical information when we actually study it, and, and we saw how the Spirit was was working in Jesus' life and, and in preparation for the ministry that. That Jesus had we saw that the spirit led him into the wilderness to prepare him for the ministry that God had for him and and he was tempted of the devil there for 40 days and of course Jesus resisted that temptation that just like the Bible teaches is true for us when we resist the devil he will flee from us and and what we learn is is that Jesus returned from the wilderness when he came out of that he returned from the wilderness the Bible teaches us in the power of the Spirit. And what began from there was this is the beginning of his public ministry. This is when this whole thing kicks off. Jesus had lived 30 years of life up until this point, and he's lived it in relative obscurity, at least as far as as, as far as we know. He's 30 years old, and he and he has essentially been living in obscurity he goes into the region of of Galilee specifically he goes into Capernaum and and, and as Jesus is there teaching and and as you can imagine this teaching is absolutely incredible I mean holy smokes guys we're talking about the word of God proclaiming the word of God like uh, you know I don't even have a file for such a thing and and he's he's anointed with power and he's He's carrying out miracles, and and his hometown of Nazareth, though, isn't too far away from Galilee, and and his hometown has started to catch word of of what's going on in in this other region, and and so Jesus comes back to the synagogue that he grew up in, according to, to Luke 4, and so after listening to others preach in this synagogue for 30 years, here Jesus is informing everybody, hey, by the way, guys, I'm the Messiah. <laughs> Can you imagine preaching for 30 years only to discover that the Messiah had been sitting in the audience the whole time? Wow. It's like you want to come up to Jesus after the service. You know, I've been thinking about the way I was breaking down that passage in uh, James chapter 3 and I just yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. Uh, yeah, I my bad. I see that more clearly now. Right, but that would be quite that would be quite the revelation to realize that that was the case and so the minister has jesus speak that day and 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 so they, they hand him the scroll like we talked about last week and and jesus finds the part in isaiah 61 where isaiah is uh, isaiah's prophecy and he says the spirit of the lord has anointed me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor to 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 heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives, to Set at liberty them that are bruised to offer recovery of sight to the blind, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And and Jesus reads that passage in Luke chapter four where he's quoting Isaiah sixty one, and he and he quotes it to the people that he grew up with in his home church. And after he reads it, he he rolls that scroll up and he he hands it to the minister and and he goes and sits down and course sitting down was a, a place of a teacher it was a place of of authority and, and he begins to speak and, and Luke kind of gives us the theme of the message and the main point that Jesus wanted him to see not necessarily the whole message and after Jesus reads that passage in Isaiah it says everybody's eyes they were all fixed on him like what is this guy about to what is he about to say and then he hits them with something that was probably even crazier than what they were envisioning. And he says, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And, and so what they essentially heard him say when he said that is, you know that passage in, in Isaiah that I just read? Out of do, do you understand that that was a prophecy concerning me? I am the Messiah who has come to fulfill those words. This is his home church, y'all. He grew up with, he grew up with these folks. And, and what Jesus is saying is this description as is Isaiah is describing the ministry that I'm here to fulfill. And since we have the account of his earthly ministry in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we can go there and we can see that when Jesus came to be the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, what he said in Isaiah 61 was repeated in Luke 4. It's a description of Jesus' ministry when he was here on the earth ministering, and we can see that in those books. But what I want to challenge you with over the next couple months probably is this whole idea of what if Jesus didn't come in the first century? What, and that prophecy in Isaiah would still be just chilling back there. It'd just be waiting to be fulfilled. And what if instead he came right here and right now, and he came today in the 21st century? What would his ministry look like today? Because do you realize that Isaiah 61 would still be the exact same description of his ministry if he came today? It, and so I want us to ask ourselves, Is, is that, what would that look like specifically then? If Jesus came today, who are these poor that he'd be preaching to? Who, who are these broken-hearted people that he'd be seeking to, to come alongside of and heal? Who, who, are, who are these captives that he'd be preaching deliverance to? Who are these bruised that he would be seeking to set at liberty? And, and who are these blind people who he'd be seeking to recover their sight. Who, who are these people? And, and, and this is an important question for us, because Jesus still wants to minister today the same way that he did back then. He kind of lays out this itinerary for us we were talking about. It's, it, it's just that now he's not doing it through a physical body of Christ when he was in his physical body, but because we are the body of Christ... Now he's doing that through us. He still wants to minister as much as he ever did. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, it lays out the parallel paradigm for us. He he lays out what ministry should look like for us because it runs parallel to what ministry looked like for him. The model or the example or paradigm is what Jesus did and what we do is run parallel to that with the only thing between the two is time, and, and starting next Sunday, what we're going to be doing is we'll, we'll start looking at these things specifically that characterized his ministry. Who are these poor that he'd be seeking to preach the gospel to? Who who are these broken-hearted in our world today that Jesus still wants to minister to? Now it's just though so, now it's through us. Now it's through his spiritual body. And if we as individuals and, and we as a church are going to live our lives and have our ministry be a parallel paradigm, then we may have to make some changes. Maybe for some of us it's a it's a change in our thinking, and and maybe for others of us it's a it's a change even of our hearts. Maybe our thinking or our hearts are are keeping us from having a ministry like Jesus's through this body of Christ. So again, in Luke 4, Jesus says in verse 21, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And and what happens from here is Luke goes goes into this explanation as to what the result of Jesus' ministry actually was. And, And as we're diving into this study and we're asking God to give us as individuals and and give us corporately as a church a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to Christ's. i think that it's important that we set the expectations what should we expect from a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of jesus what should we expect from a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of jesus And and here it is. The next blank is coming right on the heels of the other one. We should expect the exact same results that Jesus had. And we're going to elaborate on that. We should expect the exact same results that Jesus had. So as a church body and and as individuals in that body, when we function as Jesus functioned on this earth, we're going to see that the earth really isn't that much different. They're going to respond the same way that we see that happened in this passage. And, and one of the places that, that we see this principle clearly laid out for us is John chapter 15. L- look at John chapter 15 with me. Now back in chapter 13, Jesus is he's with his disciples the night before he dies. And what, what it says is, is that Jesus, right now, he's been, in the midst of just, he's been in the midst of loving on His disciples. And He's sharing His heart with them. He's invested three and a half years with them up to this point. And, and there are some things that they need to understand before He goes to the cross. And here's what He says in John 15, in verse 20. Remember the word that I said unto you, Don't lose sight of this. Don't forget this. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. And and in John 16, the next chapter with the same context, he says to him in verse 1, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. He says, man, I'm trying to get out in front of this for you right now. I, I, I want to tell you ahead of time so when this happens, you don't get offended by it. You don't lose your way in the midst of it. You don't get all freaked out about it. And I want to remind us of this principle this morning because I don't want us to launch, launch out into this study to have this ministry that's a parallel paradigm to Christ's, and we find ourselves out there getting offended and and, and losing our way in the midst of this whole thing. Because what we may have the propensity to think is that, man, when we turn this corner in this church, we're going to see people come to Christ by the droves. And though I have faith that God is more than capable of doing just that, we have to be sure not to romanticize this thing too much because we want to expect the same results that Jesus had in the same type of people that responded to Jesus message back then are the same type of people that are going to respond to the message today in the same type of people that persecuted Jesus back then for that message are the same people that are going to want to persecute Jesus us this day and Jesus says you need to know this going into it up front you need to know this ahead of time before you really get serious about having the spirit of God fill you and having this approach to ministry that's parallel to Christ's I want you to know what to expect in verses 2 through 4 here here's what we can expect starting in verse 2 they shall put you out of the synagogues Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And so before we really completely launch In this series, I want to talk about what we should expect from a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to Jesus's. Now go back to Luke chapter 4. And and, and the first thing that Luke brings us to is, is number one on your outline, expect to be misunderstood. Expect to be misunderstood. In Luke chapter 4 in verse 20... So he's, he's already he's quoted Isaiah, and he's read that passage. And then next, he says in verse 20, And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. It says, this is what he began to say. We don't, we don't have the whole message. He likely said a lot more than that, but he's given the main point of the message, and he said, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears, then verse 22, it begins to say, and all bear him witness. They were all bearing witness with what he was saying. Are you hearing that? It, it made sense to him. Their, their conscience was, was saying, man, this is right They knew it was truth. They they couldn't find fault in what Jesus was saying. And then in verse 22, continuing on, and they wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Again, can you imagine being an eyewitness to this moment? The Word of God expounding the Word of God, and as he's doing it, every single person in the room they're bearing witness to this thing. And they all wondered. They're, all of them, all their minds were blown. They were filled with wonder, not just with his words, but they were filled with wonder, with his gracious words that he said. And, and these folks can't believe what they're hearing, and they can't believe the grace with which he's telling them. And, and listen, y'all, as we seek for our ministry to be a parallel paradigm to this, Instead of approaching this thing with quick, short, cold responses that are incredibly biblical, maybe instead it would be best if they walked away mind-blown at the graciousness of the words that we spoke to them. It, isn't that the same thing that, that God was teaching us through Paul in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6? When he, when he said... Walk in wisdom towards them that are without. Those that are without are obviously those that are without Christ. He says what it's going to take is that we walk in wisdom towards those that are without Christ. Redeeming the time, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Grace seasoned with salt, y'all. We tend to do the opposite, don't we? Our speech tends to be with salt seasoned with grace. (laughs) When you go to the movie theater and you order that popcorn, what sounds better to you, a bag of popcorn seasoned with salt or a a bag of salt seasoned with popcorn? (laughs) I won't use the French fries and ketchup illustration because I know some of y'all probably don't like ketchup with your French fries. You guys like French fries with your ketchup i know I know how y'all are so i can't u- I can't use that illustration maybe it's just my kids i don't know but but I don't think I can use that illustration, but you get the point so so listen, we have to make sure that we're delivering this bag of salt we call the gospel, and those that are without. When we do it that way, they can't stomach it. But but what Jesus modeled for us was that the people wondered at his gracious words. Every person in the room is blown away by his gracious words. They're bearing witness with his words. They're they're picking up what he's putting down. And watch what happens, though, in in verse 28. and, And man, what couldn't have been much time, probably minutes, And all they in the synagogue, who's, who's the all? It's all those people who were just blown out of their minds with the words that Jesus had said and the grace with which he said them. When all those people heard these things, they were filled with joy. No? Filled with wrath. They were filled with wrath. Listen, y'all, we've got to be prepared for the same thing. If the ministry of our lives and our church runs parallel with that of Jesus Christ, they will wonder at our words, but have wrath toward our wisdom. It's very possible that they'll wonder at our words, but have wrath towards our wisdom. That should be on, uh, should be a slide in your study sheet. <clears throat> we We can... You have it? That's all good. I think it's on your study sheet. Is it on your study sheet? No, well, you know. (laughs) It's cheap labor, so it's (laughs) kind (laughs) of hard. Yeah. Microwavable pizzas it is. They'll wonder at our words, but they'll have wrath towards our wisdom. We can have the most gracious words, which we are called to do, but we can have the most gracious words that have ever been spoken since Jesus spoke audibly. And while we're speaking those gracious words to lost people in our community, it's very possible and maybe chances are good that while they're hearing the graciousness of our words that people will agree with them and they'll enjoy them and like them. But once they see the wisdom that's connected to those words and and what that's actually going to mean for their life, we can expect the same results that Jesus had. Romans 8, chapter 7, in in Romans 8, in verse 7, it, it tells us why. It says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's in opposition to God. It's, a, it's an enemy. So, listen, in this whole thing that, that, we're, that we're setting out on, we need to understand that what we need to expect is to be misunderstood. Number two, expect to be misidentified. Expect to be misidentified. So, in, in verse 22, we saw their, their spirit, it's bearing witness. And they've wondered at these gracious words. And, man, you would think that being in his hometown with his homeboys, that it would be that moment where it all comes together. You'd think this would be the moment where it all clicks. You guys remember the movie The Sixth Sense? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know how you realize, I hate to spoiler alert, If you haven't seen it up until now, yeah, I was about to say, it's been out for 20 years, for goodness sake. If you haven't seen it now, you know, someone's like, I was going to watch that this afternoon. No. Spoiler alert, y'all. Bruce Willis is dead the whole time in the movie, right? You realize at the end, Bruce Willis has been dead this whole time, and they walk you back through all these things that happened. You're doing it in your mind already, right? And then they walk you back, and you see that, oh, my goodness, yeah, he was invisible to everybody but the kid. Remember that? And, and then you walk back, all those scenes, they show you how no one else was really seeing them. We thought everybody else was seeing them. And you'd think that this would be the moment that all these folks that grew up with Jesus would finally get it. And they'd walk back through those scenes in their mind. And, uh, you know, that whole thing of never being able to recall him sinning his whole life. Yeah. You know, you, maybe that whole thing. Man, he never did talk back to his mama, did he? Yeah, he never did have to get slapped upside the head by his mama like I did. You know, maybe, you know, he's, he, you know, just all of that. Yeah, my mama would would not do that. Um, Not outside the head, anyway. (laughs) You know, that that whole thing of never, you know, never beating up his siblings. And, you know, that whole thing of, oh, I don't know, the virgin birth. You know, you would think that would be the moment that that whole thing would finally strike brain. And you'd think they'd start putting two and two together and say, This is the Son of God. How did we not see this this whole time? But what do they say in verse 22? Luke 4 22. They say, Is not this Joseph's son? And you know what happened? He was misidentified. And I want us to realize and I want us to just expect that if our ministry is a parallel paradigm to that of Christ's, then we too should, be expe- we should expect to be misidentified. You know, L- Lord willing, over the next couple months, man, I hope God's going to do some incredible things in our midst to, to break our heart for the people that he loves so incredibly and loves so desperately, But as we seek for our ministry to be that parallel paradigm to that of Jesus' ministry, what anyone would hope would be that others would be identifying us that, wow, someone who behaves like that and loves on people like that, that must be a child of God right there. These people must be children of God. Wow, the reason you do what you do must be because you're a child of God, but we should expect to be misidentified we should expect that once people really get the message that some will say oh i get it you're one of those religious churchgoers. and miss the whole point of who we are and that our relationship isn't to a church but it's to god but jesus was misidentified too so why should we expect anything different so if our approach to ministry is a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus, then we can expect that number one will be misunderstood, number two will be misidentified, and number three will be mistreated. Number three, expect to be mistreated. So, so here's all these people that have caught word of all that Jesus is doing in Capernaum and in Galilee, and they've, they've, they've heard about the miracles he's performing, and, and, and you know what they want? They they want him to come to the hometown, and they want him to do what he was doing in all of these other places. The problem is, is that Jesus knows their hearts. They've already listened to him. they already listened to the graciousness of his words. They've already been filled with wonder. But the state of their heart is summed up when they make that statement. Isn't this Joseph's son? If he's Joseph's son, then he can't be the son of God. We know that. And in verse 23 of Luke chapter 4, he he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. The, The people of Nazareth, they were ready to quote a proverb. So Jesus just goes ahead and gets out in front of that thing. They say, If you're so great, and if you're the Messiah... Then why don't you do here at home what you're doing in all these other places? And, but then Jesus reminds him of another proverb that teaches that teachers were more valued everywhere else than they were at home. And then watch what happens in verse 29, in, in verse 29 of Luke chapter 4. And what's assumed here is is the is, is all and and rose up or all rose up and they thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. How in the world can the same people from his hometown and his home church, and how can they go from bearing witness with his spirit and go from being in awe of the graciousness of his words and within 30 minutes or so, they want to cast him down headlong off the edge of the cliff. They want to, they want to, they want to kill him. And, of course, the great irony here is, is they were wanting him to do miracle, they would do miracles there like he did in the other places. And, and Jesus tells them that proverb about having honor in anywhere but your hometown. And, and he finally does a miracle for them because they're trying to gang up on him and kill him. And then in verse 30 says that as they took him right to the brow of the hill or right to the edge of the cliff, that Jesus passed through him and went on his way. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how it was that, that he did that. Maybe it was some sort of temporary paralysis. But after ganging up on him, after getting him to the edge of the cliff, Jesus basically says, yeah, that'll be enough of that. That was fun, guys, but... I'll be going now. Oh, and there's your miracle for you. As you, you know, can't quite can't quite get it there. Okay, so now after all that, aren't you guys super excited to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the Lord Jesus Christ? Can we just all get so excited about that idea? Man, that sounds like a whole lot of fun. Thanks for that. Okay, so after, you know... Can I sign up for that on the website? Is that something I? Where where do I sign up for that kind of treatment? We're going to be misunderstood. We're going to be misidentified. We're going to be mistreated. So if that's the case, why would we do this? If that's what we should expect, why in the world would we do it? Now you should have that blank. If that's what we, if that's what we should expect, why in the world would we do it? Well keeping in theme, we do it for the same exact reasons that Jesus did it. We should expect nothing different than the result Jesus had in his ministry. Then why would we do it? We do it for the same exact reason that that Jesus did it. And then, number one in this other point, we we do it because it's what the Spirit of God has anointed us to do. We, We do it because it's what the Spirit of God has anointed us to do. Look back in verse 18 of Luke chapter 4. Verse 18 of Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to... And then he goes on and he lists those six things that we've talked about. You know why we as members of the body of Christ approach our ministry parallel to the way Christ did? We do it for the same exact reason Jesus did. It's because of the anointing that we have received in our lives. The same anointing of the Spirit. We were all lost in our sin, y'all. We were all headed for hell. We were spiritually dead, and our eyes were open to what Christ did for us. Someone out there loved us enough and loved God enough to share the life-changing truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with us. We called upon the name of the Lord to save us. And right at that exact moment, we became recipients of the Holy Spirit of God. And in John 6, 63, it's not on the screen, it says, The Spirit giveth life, and He moved into our dead spirits, and we were anointed and possessors of the Holy Spirit of God. In in John 14, 16, and 17, Jesus, in that same context we were in earlier, when he's talking to the disciples the night before he died, here's what he says. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. He says, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving another comforter who's just like me, who will be with you forever. Verse 17 even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. When John talked about this in First John chapter two, starting in, in verse 20, he says, "But ye have an unction from the holy One, and ye know all things. Skip to verse 27. But the anointing, that's the unction he just talked about. It's the comforter that moved inside of us that Jesus talked about. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And what I want to make sure that you see is that when the Lord saved us, he, he took that Spirit and He put it on the inside of us. And that Spirit placed us, it placed us into the body of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians twelve twelve. And all of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior have been anointed with the same Spirit of God that anointed the Lord Jesus Christ when He was here in His physical body. And he wants us to empty ourselves of ourselves and allow the Spirit of God now to completely fill us. And you know this list of six things in in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, where he quotes from Isaiah 61? You know what that's all about? It's describing the love of God and how the Lord Jesus Christ was manifesting that love to mankind. In Romans 5, 5, he, he, he says the, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. How? By the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And when that Holy Ghost fills us, when we're filled with the, the love of God, and what happens is it begins to shed abroad to others. And because of that, the same thing that characterized the ministry of Jesus Christ is going to characterize our ministry and the ministry of this church. And the reason is because of the anointing that we received from the Spirit. Then next, why do we do it? We do it so we can fulfill the Scripture. We do it so we can fulfill the... The scripture, again, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus teaches us this in Luke 4, 21. Here's what he says. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Okay, so we looked at Isaiah 61. We saw that the prophecy was recorded. And Jesus said, I came to fulfill that scripture in Isaiah 61. And that prophecy was concerning me. And do you understand that the New Testament is filled with prophecies concerning us, the people in this room? And and what will be true of our lives when we're filled with the Spirit? Like Jesus, there's scripture that will be fulfilled through us. In James chapter 2 and verse 15, he says, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. It, you see, the Spirit of God, is, is, it's always moving It's the spirit of God is always working. And when his love is being shed abroad in our hearts, then you don't just say, well, God bless you with that, brother. I hope it all works out. No, there's scripture that's being fulfilled through us because of the anointing. Why? Because we're just so amazing and such good folks. No, because that's what the spirit does when he lives inside of us and we're filled with the spirit. That's what he does. In, in, in 1 John chapter 3, in verse 17, he says, but, but whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth." True believers fulfill the Scripture. We don't just talk about love. It actually comes out of our life. It's who we are now, so it's what we do. And, and one of the many things that I love about this church is is that we have been rooted in sound doctrine. There's very few churches on this planet that care about that anymore. Just If you go around, you'll... You'll realize it very, very soon. There's very few people that care about that. And, the, and, and it's a beautiful thing that we approach that the way that we do. But now that we've got that, may we con- and may we continue to get more grounded every day, but now that we've got a pretty solid hold on that thing, let's allow the Spirit of God that anointed us to fill us and allow the love of God to be shed abroad from our hearts to the people that are all around us. And you know what happens when it does? All of a sudden, we'll have this strange attraction to the poor to get the gospel to them. With broken-hearted people we'll have some sort of gravitational pull to us in hopes of seeing them healed, We'll see the captives differently. We'll see drug addicts and prostitutes and homosexuals and we'll see past what they are and we will see how they got there. And maybe, just maybe, our hearts will break for them and and rather than look down on them and rather than turn our nose up, maybe God will grip our hearts for those people. And we'll do whatever we can to preach deliverance to them. We'll find those that are bruised and have been hurt so many times by this sick, cruel world and we'll find a way to set at liberty those people that Jesus' heart has turned towards and that he died for. And when we're filled with his spirit, the love of God is shed abroad and like a magnet we're just drawn to those kind of people. But but if we're, there's no draw to, that, to those people, it's a it's a clear indication that the Spirit of God doesn't have all of us. Maybe He doesn't have as much of us as we thought that He did. He, he's trying to move around inside, but there's some congestion in there. There's something that's got it jammed up. And then a third reason that we do it. We, we do it for the same reasons that Jesus did, because the Spirit has anointed us to do it so we can fulfill the Scripture and then number three, we do it because of the individuals who will recognize their need and respond to God's message. We do it because of the individuals who will recognize their need and respond to God's message. So, so Jesus is in this setting in, in his home church in the, in the synagogue, and, and after his spirit has, has bore witness to, with with the with the people and and the people wondered at his gracious words and they make it very clear that they're not going to identify him as the son of God not going to identify him as the Messiah and then Jesus gives them that proverb you, you see they, they 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 loved the sermon they weren't a big fan of the application they they didn't like the main point of where that thing was actually going and then in ch- in verses twenty five through twenty six of of Luke chapter 4, Jesus says, But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sare- Sarepta, a city of Sidon, a lot of Gentiles, unto a woman that was a widow. Okay, so what in the world, is, what, what is all that? What's, what's he talking about? It, and, and the principle here is that ministry is to the masses. It's for everyone of every nation. We're to take that message and we're to take it to the uttermost parts of the earth. But we go knowing we're being sent to individuals. And, and Jesus gives this illustration. He says, you remember Elijah? You remember Elijah? back when they went through that famine for three and a half years, you remember that? And you understand how many widows were in Israel in that day, and you know how many of them that Elijah was sent to by God? Elijah was there, and his ministry was on display to all, but he was sent to one, one individual person. Jesus gives another illustration in verse 27. He's talking about Elisha here. And he, and he says in verse twenty seven, there were many lepers were in Israel, in the in, in the time of Elisus. That's the the Greek way of saying Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman, the Syrian, a Gentile. And again, what Jesus is trying to get him to see, and what he's trying to get us to see this morning is, is that ministry is always to the masses, but God sees individuals and listen we maybe we don't reach the masses maybe we maybe we will maybe we won't i'm certainly not ruling it out but maybe we don't but if our ministry is a parallel paradigm to that of christ then every single one of us will be led to individuals who will have their eternal destiny completely changed and transformed through god using us in in john chapter 4 it's it's talking about jesus being in these different places and and he's ministering and and in john 4 4 you know what it says in john 4 4 it says that he must needs go through samaria he must needs go through samaria Oh, buddy, what's he going to Samaria for? He must be ready to do that Billy Graham thing. He, he, I'm telling you what, he must be going out there like Billy Graham to preach to the thousands. I'll bet the altar call are going to have people stacked on top of each other up to the ceilings. No. You know why he must needs go there? Because there's a woman that's been abused by this world that's at a well. And he must go there because he's being sent to her. An individual, in Acts 8, revival broke out in Samaria. It's on and popping in Samaria, man. It, it's, it, it, and in the midst of this revival, there's all of this awesome stuff that's going on. In the midst of that, God takes Philip and he teleports him to a desert road. You know why? Because there were 10,000 people there that he was going to preach to. And that would be because there was one guy who had an open Bible and he doesn't get it. And God sent Philip to that individual and what jesus is saying to his hometown folks is i know you're wanting this wonderful show from me but because of your reaction i sent it to the people that actually want it and you know what god's going to do with us y'all he'll send us to the people that want it expect the same thing that jesus got when he was here expect to be misunderstood expect to be misidentified expect to be mistreated go into this knowing that that's going to be the case. So so why even do it? The reason we do it is because we can't help but do it if we're filled with the Spirit of God, because that's what we've been anointed to do prophetically. And we do it because we received the same anointing that Jesus had. We do it to fulfill the Scripture the same way that Jesus did. And yes, we're here to minister to the world, but we go in understanding that He's going to send us to individuals would i be guilt tripping us too bad to ask us where are the people it's self-included man i'm a fellow struggler where are the people in the last year five years 10 years 20 years where are the people that we've won to christ from sharing that message what, what if we're filled with the Spirit of God and, and, and we do what we've been anointed to do and let God's love be shed abroad and fulfill the Scripture? What if we do that? And, and if we do, I guarantee you, He's going to send us to individuals that He's called us to reach just like Jesus did. It won't always be easy. It won't always be well-received. People won't always come in in droves. We we get to the end of Christ's ministry. He we, we, in, in people he was called to reach wanted to kill him. The people he invested three and a half years of his life in had forsaken him. You'd think that most of Jesus' real followers were probably gathered together in that upstairs apartment, which was 120. What about Paul? He he writes about. The, This person has forsaken me. These folks said all these things about me and no man stood with me. Only my guy, Luke. We shouldn't expect anything different than Jesus or Paul. But listen, y'all, there will be fruit, though. We shouldn't expect anything different, but there will be fruit. He sent us just like Elijah and Elisha. He sent us to individuals. That's why we still have breath. Jesus, we, we, we want to be a part of your mission. We thank you for Luke chapter 4 and all that we've got the ability to glean, all of the nuggets that you have in there for us if we will mine the treasures of your word. And, and there's so much to pull out of, of this chapter, God. And I, 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 I'm praying, God, that you are stirring in our midst as a, as a fellow struggler in this whole world of feeling like I've just fallen short in this area, God. May this, may this be the time in this group of people's lives where we, where we really turn the corner on this thing, no matter, no matter if we're misunderstood, no matter if we're mistreated, no matter if we're misidentified. It's not about that, God. It was never. It's not about us. May we die to self and be alive unto you. But God, may, will you give us fruit? Yeah, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to be receptive of this message, God. But there are people that he has for us, God. May we not lose sight of that thing. Will you use us to reach those people? God, we're, we're, we're begging you that you'd give us that kind of fruit in our lives. And we love you. In your name we pray stand and sing this old hymn.